0: This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. With the holidays coming up, now was the perfect time for farm families to talk about the future of the farm business. The aspect of passing the farm from one generation to the next requires a great deal of planning, preparation, and communication in the process of farm succession. As an Extension Ag agent, I have heard a good number of stories about farm succession that did not go as planned. Families not communicating and a lack of understanding about taxation and law are the primary difficulties to overcome. A webinar will be held on Monday, November 29th at 7 p.m. with Roger McGowan, who is a professor of law and taxation, and he will speak on the laws and tools that farmers and ranchers can use in estate and tax planning. This webinar is being hosted by Women Managing the Farm and is free. Registration can be found in the events section of agmanager.info website. If you are hearing about this after November 29th, I'm sure the webinar has been recorded for later viewing as well. If you're having trouble finding the registration, please contact your local extension office and we'll help you out. Dr. McGowan will be talking about the technical and legalistic side of farm succession. Farm succession is a long process that involves, beyond all else, communication. Starting off with the knowledge of what goals of each family member are, and most importantly, is farming what the next generation wants to do. There needs to be a communication of wants, needs, and hopes. It is the discussion of concerns and desires from each family member. This step needs to be said out loud and can change in time. It is also important to know the capabilities of those involved in the farm transition. Each generation will have different strengths and the operation will change to match the abilities of the individual. It is inevitable that the operation will change from one generation to the next. Part Farms' succession is getting into the gritty details of the operation. Where the operation is financially, what are the current contracts, and where are all the assets held. Full disclosure of financial positions is very important. The next generation needs to know of the inventory and production capabilities of the operation, and knowing if future plans are financially possible. Big ideas are great, but it all needs to be planned out in a detailed business plan. On the legal side of estate planning, wills and trusts needs to be written, and paperwork needs to be identified. Often, this step will involve a lawyer or a legal professional at some point. From the state's point of view, only that that is in a contract is real. Lastly, develop a timeline spelling out the details, as it is easy to put much of this off. It takes a deliberate effort to make farm secession happen successfully. And again, Roger McGowan's laws and tools that farmers ranchers can use in estate and tax planning will be held on November the 29th at 7 p.m. You can reach me at 620-724-8233. This has been James Cooper with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, livestock production agent for the Wildcat District.
1: your livestock production agent with the wildcat extension district. Most cattle producers have had a calf that's no longer able to nurse its mama. Possibly the dam has died or maybe rejected a twin. Regardless, feeding a bottle multiple times a day can be rigorous at best. A newborn calf that's been orphaned must receive colostrum. Calves are born with little defense against disease. Colostrum is from the first milking of a cow after calving or available commercially. This liquid gold provides a calf with important nutrients and essential antibodies. Within the first hour of birth, a calf needs five to six pints of high-quality colostrum. The timing of colostrum intake is important because of the gut's ability to absorb the antibodies. Within six hours after birth, the stomach can only absorb two-thirds of the available antibodies. By 24 hours, the absorption capacity is reduced to just 11%. Also, at 24 hours of age, the digestive enzymes break down and digest all of the antibodies. Day 2 and after, calves can be fed twice a day with a calf bottle and calf nipple. Milk replacer powders are reconstituted with warm water and make an excellent and oftentimes economical liquid feed for baby calves. During the first three weeks of life, calves should be fed a milk replacer that contains all milk proteins made from dry skim milk or whey products. Milk replacers should contain 18 to 22 percent crude protein, 10 to 22 percent crude fat, and less than a half a percent crude fiber. These commercial milk replacers should be mixed and fed according to the manufacturer's directions. Within four days, a calf can be introduced to calf starter and fresh, clean drinking water. Calf starter is a very palatable feed with adequate protein, minerals, and vitamins and a coccidiostat. During the first couple of weeks, calves will just nibble a calf starter, only give about six ounces, and remove the remaining feed daily. At three to four weeks of age, this intake will increase considerably. Feeding calves free choice water will increase feed intake and weight gain. Hay shouldn't be offered until calves are weaned from the bottle. Calves can be weaned from milk when they're eating about a pound and a half or two pounds of the calf starter for at least three days in a row. This means the calves shouldn't be weaned based on age, but rather based on their feed intake. Some calves can be weaned at four weeks, but others may be up to 10 weeks of age. Calves can be weaned from milk either abruptly or gradually over three to seven days. After weaning, changes in the grain mix and housing should be made one at a time over a two week period. A bottle calf will not have the benefit of its dam's milk with continued support of immunity. So it's critical to keep the calf in a clean environment. The calf will be vulnerable to diseases like coccidiosis and scours. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks Wendy! And now, here's Davin Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent with her report.
2: This is a David Strauss, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. Temperatures are dropping, leaves are changing color, and fall is here. This signifies a big change in habitat and life cycle for many animals. One animal that I would like to focus on today is deer. I would like to bring an article written by the Kansas Highway Patrol to your attention as they have done a fantastic job in summarizing the dangers that deer present to motorists during October through the end of the year and what you can do to help keep you and your family safe while you are driving. The Kansas Highway Patrol states that deer activity on and near Kansas roadways poses a seasonal traffic hazard because deer breeding season runs from October through December. Law enforcement officers routinely investigate a large number of vehicle deer crashes this time of year. The Kansas Highway Patrol advises all motorists to be aware of this potential danger and to use extra caution when driving. The following defensive driving techniques could ensure your safety this fall and winter. Stay alert, pay more attention to the road and roadside, and intentionally look for deer. Be especially alert at dawn and dusk, these are the peak movement times for deer and when visibility is low. Slow down at deer crossing signs, which are posted where deer vehicle collisions have repeatedly occurred, and near woods parks, golf courses, and streams or creeks as these areas have good habitat and cover for deer and deer are more likely to be in these areas. At a reduced speed, you have a better chance of avoiding a deer. Deer usually travel in groups when one deer crosses the road there may be others about to cross. Slow down and watch for others as they may dart into the road. Slow down when approaching deer that are standing near roadways as deer have a tendency to bolt, possibly onto the roadway. Use emergency flashers to warn oncoming drivers as well after you see a deer near a road. Always wear your seatbelt. Statistics show that most people injured or killed in deer-related collisions were not wearing seatbelts. The most serious crashes occur when drivers lose control of their vehicles trying to avoid an animal. Do not take unsafe evasive actions. It is usually safer to strike the deer than another object, such as a tree or another vehicle. If you do hit a deer, pull over onto the shoulder, turn on your emergency flashers, and watch for traffic before exiting your vehicle. Do not try to remove a deer from the roadway unless you are sure it is dead, as an injured deer could potentially hurt you. If you have a cell phone, you can dial star 47 for the nearest Highway Patrol dispatcher if you need assistance. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adavin Strons with your K-State Research and Extension report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K-State Research and Extension, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Thanksgiving has just passed, and there are several garden vegetables that play a key role in the Thanksgiving meal. Green beans and sweet potatoes being two of the most common. Green beans are actually the immature pod of the common bean, known by a host of other names, including the French bean, the Snap bean, and the String bean. Beans grow in two different forms. There's the bush bean and the pole bean. The bush bean grows to around 2 feet tall and then stops producing beans. Pole beans are vining beans that grow throughout the entire season and will need a trellis, cage, arbor, or fence to climb. Choosing between pole and bush beans will depend on how much space you have to dedicate to these vegetables. Sweet potatoes are a member of the genus that includes morning glories, Ipomolia. The edible portion of a sweet potato is the modified stem of the vine, botanically called the tuber. Sweet potatoes are often passed on in favor of growing Irish potatoes, but Kansas soils are much more suited to sweet potatoes than to Irish potatoes. Sweet potatoes do not require an acidic soil, instead growing comfortably in soils close to or even slightly above a neutral pH. Irish potatoes will instead require a soil pH between 5 and 6.5 which is a rare find in Kansas thanks to the limestone ubiquitous throughout our soils. If you want to grow potatoes but find that your soil characteristics won't cooperate, sweet potatoes are a worthy, easy to find and grow alternative. Some homeowners will already have sweet potato vine growing in their garden beds as an ornamental plant. There are a few differences between commercial sweet potatoes and ornamental sweet potato vines. Vines are bred for their ornamental characteristics, with no concern for the size or taste of the tubers. So tubers harvested will be smaller and less tasty than commercial sweet potato varieties. However, ornamental sweet potato tubers and leaves are both edible. If you would like more sweet potato vines in your landscape, all you need to do is take a 4-inch cutting of a vine, dip the cut end into a rooting powder, and then place it into a growing medium. Cutting should root and produce new plants for relocation into a garden bed or container. The last major horticulture crop important to Thanksgiving is the cranberry. Cranberries are evergreen shrubs that grow in acidic soils of Canada, New England, and the Upper Midwest. Cranberries are even more pH-dependent than blueberries, meaning that growing them in Kansas is a near impossibility, and certainly not for the faint of heart. If you want to try growing cranberry bushes in Kansas, A soil test and a lot of elemental sulfur will be necessary. In the north, cranberries are flooded off the bush once ripe and then harvested out of the newly formed bog. They are then processed into juice, dried like raisins, or boiled and mashed into the cranberry sauce so often enjoyed during the fall holidays. For more information on growing these horticultural crops, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Port Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.